Hello, my name's Marianne Williams, and thank you for joining us for our third in the Clinical Cases podcast series. Welcome to uh, Dr. Charlie Andrews today. Great to have you here, Charlie. And uh, I know that you're a GP working in Bristol and you're a trainee endoscopist and you also suffer from osteoclitis yourself and as a result are inflammatory bowel disease champion for the Southwest for the Royal College of General Practitioners. Is that correct? That is. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us. Tell us a bit about what you, how you want this podcast to run and who you're aiming it at, what you want to gain okay. from this. So I'm going to tell my story of, of my experience with ulcerative colitis. Uh, it's going to go from diagnosis uh, through surgery, medications, um, to having an ileoanal pouch. So it's from beginning to end, as it were. There might be some technical language along the way, and I'll try to explain that as I go through. Um, I'm hoping that it will be useful and interesting for both healthcare professionals Patients may find it interesting as well, but as I said, there may be a few technical bits in there and I'll try my best to make sure it's accessible for everyone. Um, but I just hope that it's interesting for people to hear the story uh, and find out that, you know, there is actually, there's someone behind the disease. And I hope that that comes out as we go through. So really a disclaimer before I start, really, I'd like to say that, you know, my story is, is, is my story and it's not how I recommend people manage their disease. I'm telling this because I want you to see what my experience was like not as an example of how to manage your own disease. That's really good to know, thank you. A really good place to start would be right back at the beginning. So how old were you when you first started to get the symptoms? Yeah, so I was, I was a 15 year old boy. I was quite shy and embarrassed. I'd had rectal bleeding, so bleeding from the back passage for about a year. Only when I went to the loo, I didn't have any other symptoms at all. But I was quite shy and embarrassed about this, so I didn't really tell anyone. You hadn't told your parents no, or anybody? It, it took about a year to build up the courage to actually say, actually, I'm having bleeding from my back passage. So eventually I told my parents and they took me to the GP. And the GP did some blood tests and um, examined me. And all the blood tests were normal. And he said, well, this sounds like it could be hemorrhoids. I'm going to refer you to a general surgeon. So I went to uh, a surgeon at the Royal Bucks in Reading. He said, yes, this sounds quite a lot like hemorrhoids. He didn't actually examine me, interestingly. So I was treated with some cream for hemorrhoids, which is piles. Yeah. Um, and predictably, a year later, that hadn't really changed anything. So you'd still been bleeding all so this I still, year? I was still bleeding, so not much changed. This is two um, years down the so line. This is now right? two years down the line. I was going with my school to Africa on a school trip, and I thought I probably should get this dealt with before I go because we're going to be doing a lot of camping. And I thought this is not ideal. So went back to the GP, who sent me back to the surgeon with the plan to ban the hemorrhoids to treat them. So trying to trying mm. to remove the hemorrhoids so there's no more bleeding. So he said, okay, let's go ahead with that. Uh, I went in for a procedure. They put me under. I very quickly came back to back to my room, and he said, well, we haven't done the procedure he said because actually we had a look inside your bowel and we think you've actually got something called ulcerative colitis you had you ever heard of this before i'd never heard of this before mm. and i thought brilliant that sounds great i always thought hemorrhoids piles was embarrassing you got it from sitting on the loo too long my understanding was not great at the time as you can see so i was really pleased when they said i had ulcerative colitis 
I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I thought that sounds a lot better. Interestingly, and, and it's funny how you remember some of the things that people say to you. So I remember he, at that time he told me the diagnosis. He said, you know, when I first met you, you said you wanted to be in the army. And I said, yeah. He said, well, with this condition, you won't be able to. Gosh, how did that feel <laughs> to be able to told your, your career path was being mapped out? It's very strange. I, I mean, it's interesting. These sort of things stick with you. And I think as a doctor, it's really interesting. You have to pick up and think about what you say. But, um, it, you know, it, it was it's a pretty awful bedside manner, to be mm. honest. So following on from that, he referred me to a gastroenterologist. I was put on treatment and really quickly everything was under control. So symptoms settled, no further bleeding, went to Africa, no issues at all. So so everything at that point was fine. I was on medication, so mesalazine, which is the lifelong maintenance treatment for ulcer colitis. So I was taking a tablet every day. So this was working well then, which this meant you'd gone really into well. remission. So yeah, the symptoms so had gone away. Absolutely remission. I don't think I really knew what remission was at that point, but I was symptom free. Uh, I started a history degree. Everything was going fine. I was on my medication, no problems at all. And then at the end of my second year, I just got really ill. And I'd never actually experienced what a flare up was. Um, but what, got... what symptoms were you getting with that? Yeah, so why don't I tell you about a sort of typical day because that, that will give mm, you a feel for it. Mm. So all this time I've been very well. And then suddenly the sort of daily pattern was I'd wake up at about five in the morning with really severe stomach cramps. A bit like someone had a belt around your lower abdomen and they were just pulling it tighter and tighter. Before about midday, I'd go to the loo about 15 times. Um, always diarrhea, always with blood. And quite often I was being sick in the sink next to me. Oh my Lord, so um, really very severe symptoms to but, suddenly come out of nowhere. Yeah, very severe. So, you know, this was really unusual for me. Um, and then things would settle at about midday. I didn't really have much appetite, which is really common with colitis. And then throughout the rest of the day, I was exhausted because I was quite anemic. I couldn't leave the house because every time I left the house, I'd have to rush to the loo. So essentially, I was 21 years old. I was housebound. I was in severe pain. The pain would start to ramp up again at about three or four in the afternoon. And then I'd run to the loo maybe 10 more times before finally going to sleep at about 11 o'clock at night. And then that pattern would happen the next day and the next day every single day and it happened every day for about three months three months three months yeah. and at this point were they trying different medication with you trying loads of different things so i was on immunosuppressants lots of steroids occasionally i was admitted to hospital so we were trying lots of medications i was getting more and more unwell and i remember one day i went to my dad and he remembers this really vividly and i think i was just so exhausted and i said to him i'd had to pull out of university so i couldn't go back mm -hmm. at that point and i said to my dad my, this is so awful. I wish I was dead. So my dad said, you know, we, we can't go on like this. And my parents were looking around, what can we do? Um, eventually we found a sort of a centre of excellence for IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, which is St. Mark's Hospital in London. And I went to see this man called Professor Cam. He got me better. So Gosh, somehow, what did he do? so did he, he do? used very, very high doses of steroids. Um, I don't know quite how, but we managed to get things into remission, which is great. Did um, he use anything else with you other than the steroids? Or were you on anything like modulin, which is the liquid supplement? Yeah, so not, not really. So, no. so really just very high dose steroids. We were using rectal steroids, so uh, enemas and suppositories. Um, 
we were tackling it from both ends with lots of high doses of things. And, was that a new approach? Had you had the enema steroids before? So I had had the enema steroids. I hadn't had as high a dose of oral steroids before because I was getting up to about 90 or close to 100 milligrams, which is a very high dose. Um, but yeah, so fortunately, sort of three or four months into it, it settled down. Mm. Um, and it was actually, Professor Cam was the reason that I decided to do medicine, really. Really? Just, yeah, so just someone really inspiring. It was like he took you, he put his arm around you and, and, mm. and walked with you on your journey. Mm. And, and mm. you could feel that he was excited when things were going well. And he was there for you when they weren't. And just really made you feel like a person. He was passionate disease. about his He's really passionate, really caring. Um, and I felt safe because of him. I decided that's what I want to be. I want to have that, that, that effect on patients. So at this point I was, I was 21 still. I ended up having to take the full year off before I could go back, but I did finish the history degree. So I returned and finished my final year. And then I changed and started medicine after that. That was great. Actually, things were really stable for the majority of medicine. So everything was going fine until finals approached. Mm. I started getting some of those symptoms back, not as severe, but they were coming back. But I knew that last time steroids worked really well. So I stockpiled on steroids. I went to my GP and, and went to different GPs really, and I was able to get a lot of steroids. I kept myself on a very high dose, so about 80 milligrams for many, many months until I got myself through finals. So I managed just about to scrape through finals on very high doses. So of you're steroids. basically self-managing with high dose of steroids without any guidance, really. So not what you'd recommend patients to do. So I would not recommend at no. all. And you'll see why, but no. um, you know, it's really difficult. People with inflammatory bowel disease tend to be young. They've got a lot of things going on. They've got education, starting careers, relationships. It can be really difficult and inflammatory bowel disease can really get in the way. I, I do regret self-managing and I shouldn't have done that. But you were in your finals as well. So you presumably just trying to keep going I was until just you got your medical going. finals done. You know, I was seeing a specialist, but I was really just focused on getting through finals. And, you know, that's probably a common feeling for people. We had to go on an elective, so a medical elective. This is where you go and work abroad for two or three months to go and experience healthcare somewhere else. So really what I should have said to myself was this is probably not a good idea. But instead, I decided to go to deepest, darkest Indonesia whilst very unwell. So the way I did that, I packed my suitcase. I had 2000 steroid tablets because I knew I needed to have a lot of them to keep myself going. And then I had about two, about 1000 um, mesalazine tablets as well, which is the maintenance therapy. So most of my suitcase was medications. I had a few clothes, but not very much. And off I went to deepest, darkest Indonesia to go and do this. And predictably, things didn't go very well. Um, I became incontinent. So I completely lost control of my bowels. How um, soon after you arrived was this quite quick? So this was about six weeks in. Mm. Um, I was on high dose of steroids, but despite that, the symptoms were really coming on. I was rushing to the loo all the time. I was exhausted. And then, as I said, I developed incontinence. So I had no control, mm. which is a horrible, horrible symptom. Is that common in IPT? That does happen. It's probably more common than people say because actually it's not something people want to talk about but I think it happens a lot more than we think and it's so distressing and you you meanwhile were trying to hold down a job in an Indonesian hospital so you're trying to work long hours presumably yeah. looking after other patients while incontinent yeah 
and you know I was holding on to my colon by my fingertips that how it felt mm. um, and then I slipped really and I was in a disastrous situation out there I was trying to get emergency repatriation to the UK because I knew I just couldn't stay out there um, it was all so difficult to arrange in the end I just just had to buy a flight home um, and came straight back almost went straight from the airport to St Mark's Hospital and was admitted and really this was last chance saloon basically you know this was can we salvage anything here so so you've taken the top level of, of steroids by yeah, this point and for quite a long time quite a long time so really that medication was no longer available to you or certainly wasn't working is that correct exactly and so you're doing the enema steroids as well i was doing it all, you're doing uh, it all. to be honest what they call this they call steroid resistant inflammatory bowel disease so this is not a position you want to be in this is it, it's difficult so it means that the normal uh, steroid treatments just aren't working so i was admitted to hospital and what they did first of all was they gave me intravenous steroids into the vein and they did that for two days. I was then given five days of something called cyclosporin, which is an immunosuppressant drug, so to try and really dampen down that inflammatory response. And then I was taken for a colonoscopy to have a look and see what had happened and what was going on. Um, and when they looked inside the bowel, they could still see that it was really, it was damaged still. Very there was a lot of, lot of ulceration, um, a lot of active disease. Um, so I returned to my room and this is another interesting thing. So I remember it was, um, I think it was a Tuesday evening. I remember a surgeon coming to see me and saying, he said to me, I'm the surgeon on duty for the next week. And we've had a meeting about your case and it's been decided that you failed medical treatment. So we are gonna have to operate. And suddenly I was faced with this prospect of having an operation, something I'd always put off and never wanted to do. I've always, I'd always tried to medicate myself not to need to have the operation. And he said to me, we've decided that your colon, the entire thing is gonna to have to come out and we're gonna do it tomorrow morning. Mm, so no time for you no, to think about no it. No time, just that was it. I was told it's coming out tomorrow morning. So I'll send around the stoma nurse and they'll get you all ready for it tomorrow morning. So this is a huge shock. How much of where you were now was due to overuse of the steroids? On regulated use or would it have happened anyway do you think? I think that my disease was was quite aggressive I think I was heading that way anyway um, I think that as patients you always want to hold on to a medical treatment rather than reverting to surgery and but you would always suggest to patients that they didn't over medicate or I, I absolutely would I've already themselves. said before that I wouldn't mm. advocate what mm. I've done mm. um, and and looking back I can certainly see how I could have done things differently and should have done the steroids have a significant impact on tissue healing so they can make it really difficult for surgical sites to heal well and that really complicated the next couple of years for me with inflammatory valves you know a stoma is a possibility but it's terrifying the thought of suddenly having your inside stuck onto your outside and pooing into a bag. You know, it's scary. And for me, it was always something I was terrified of. And you're what age at this point? So at this age, I am 27, 28. So still very young. Still quite young. Plan here was to create an ileoanal pouch. I'm gonna have to create a bit of an image here of what that means. So the plan was to do three operations. The first one was to remove the entire colon. So all of the diseased bowel. So ulcerative colitis only affects colon and rectum. So they were going to remove all of that. They were then going to create a stoma from the end of the, the ileum, the end of the small bowel. And they'd leave it like that for 
around a number of months. So your stools would come out through They'd the stoma, so come out to the small intestine and exactly. into the stoma. Straight okay. into the stoma bag. You then go back to theatre and what they do is they get your the end of your small bowel and they curl it back up on itself. And if you think of a J, that's what they do. They bend it back on itself and create what's called a reservoir, really. So you get the bent back bit of bowel and they open it all up so you've got a bigger reservoir that your stool can go into. And then they attach that onto your back passage. Okay. So you now pass feces through your rectum. So then that goes through the rectum. Mm. That's the end result. But before they do that, they give you something called a defunctioning ileostomy. So they create a little outlet higher up from the pouch so that you poo into a bag for a bit longer whilst all of that's healing. So that's why it's three operations. The first one is remove everything. The second one is create this internal pouch or reservoir from your small bowel, your small intestine. And then the third one is to reverse this sort of what I call defunctioning ileostomy. And and return to, to, to defecating through the exactly. rectum. Exactly. And how many months does the three do the three operations take place in? This is quite variable across the country and different places will do different things. Um, it's it's quite patient dependent. I was on a lot of steroids, so the recovery time is always going to be longer for me. Um, so I think our plan was to wait six months or so. There's no real hurry on so doing it. So six months anything. between each one? Roughly, mm. or between one and two. There's no real hurry because actually lots of people with a, live with a stoma and it's absolutely fine. And a lot of people stop at that stage and just say, I'll have the stoma, I don't need to go for the pouch. And that's another tactic people do, but I decided to go for this pouch idea. Yeah. So that you could eventually end up using the rectum again. Yeah. yeah. I had my surgery and um, about five days afterwards, because they leave a, a little stump in your back passage. So you still, they, they call it a rectal stump. So they sew off a little bit and there's still a little bit of your bowel coming out of your back passage. And they said to me, you might feel the need to go to the loo normally from your bottom um, and just allow that to happen. So five days afterwards, as predicted in the evening, I felt the need to go to the loo. So I sat on the loo and I felt something kind of go, something went, sort of felt like it popped. So I went back to my bed and I started getting a lot of pain in my abdomen. So everything started getting really painful and swollen. And so I just finished med school at that point. So I tapped my abdomen and I thought, this seems like a problem because I'd heard of something called peritonitis. Um, this is where you get inflammation within the lining of your bowel inside, inside the abdomen. And I started getting more and more unwell, more and more pain. So I called my buzzer, the nurse came and it, things started to escalate quite quickly. They had to get the emergency team ready because actually what had happened was that this tissue that had was meant to um, meant to heal had just opened up. Was this on the stump or was this, this... Was on the stump? So yeah. this, they'd stitched over the top mm, of the stump, but mm. it all opened up. OK. Um, and I started having um, feces, so stool, yeah. moving into circulating my, into your internal into, abdomen area. Okay. Into my internal abdomen mm. area, which is called peritonitis mm. and is an emergency. Uh, so I was rushed back to theatre in the middle of the night uh, and I had to have another operation. It opened me back up, washed everything out. Um, and what they did was they then brought that stump into, into another stoma. So I now had two stomas. They brought this one out just above your, your pubic bone, just above, just right in the lower part of your abdomen. So now I had my stoma on one side for the, for the ileostomy. So that's the, the, the stoma there. But now I had another one. That I had to deal with. So I went mm. home after a number of weeks with two stomas. And, th and that was 
most likely due to the fact that the steroids had impaired the healing really um, and so I ended up with this pretty awful complication. So it popped, that bit of pop, it that had, skin had popped purely because the skin wasn't strong enough because... So yeah, so the rectal steroids. stump inside had opened back up mm. probably and you know certainly contributed by mm. the fact that I was on very high dose steroids for a mm. long time. So then did you start to heal before the second So yeah, surgery? so I was in hospital three weeks. I eventually went home. Um, I did start to heal. Things started to settle. And actually, interestingly, you know, when you've got a disease, sometimes you don't know how unwell you are or how much pain you're in. But once they've removed all of my colon and all of the disease, firstly, I was pain free. Mm. Secondly, I had some control of my bowel. Admittedly, I was, uh, you know, I was pooing into a bag. But actually, I could determine when I emptied that. So it was actually really liberating. I wasn't really taking any medication, which is such an unusual thing. So this was life changing. It was great. So about nine or 10 months later, I went back into hospital for the next operation. For the second. Mm. Yeah. So that's to create this internal pouch. Mm. So had the operation. Unfortunately, I had another complication after that. So mm. straight back to theatre again for another operation to, to sort that out. And then a couple of weeks later, unfortunately, there was uh, at the site where they joined the pouch onto the bottom. Mm. I ended up with an abscess, so an infection there. So but where they were trying to join up the, exactly. so that you would eventually be able to exactly. use a rectum, yeah. that had gone wrong that bit. That had gone, well, I developed an mm. abscess, so an area mm. of infection. So I had yeah. to go back to theatre again and have that drained. So, I mean, at this point I was thinking, this pouch is not going to work. How can it possibly work? Everything has gone wrong here. And it must have been really, I mean, it's ironic, isn't it? Because there you were with your stoma, which you think, it, you know, not even 30 would be a nightmare, but you've got none of the ulcerated colon anymore. It's all been rude. And you're yeah. feeling brilliant. No steroids, you're able yeah. to get on with your life. And actually the surgery that was going to help you was actually turning out to be a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's all, it feels really scary because all of the decisions that are made, I've heard, they feel quite irreversible. So it's it's really scary. You go from one place to the next. Um, and for me, it was very frightening. And I was really worried that you make the wrong decision. You know, you can stay with the stoma and just carry on like that. But I decided to go for this pouch. And then I was starting to think, have I made the wrong decision? And is this a decision I'm going to regret for the rest of my life? About three or four months later, uh, I had the final operation because I said they allow that pouch to heal by giving you another stoma further upstream, mm. as it were, mm. from that pouch to just allow everything to heal. And so I went back into hospital for the final procedure. In America, they call it takedown. They love those sorts of terms where they put that, put that stoma back inside and you start using the pouch. So I'd gone into hospital and... Fortunately, I didn't have any complications with that surgery. It was a relief. It was quite a relief, <laughs> quite a relief. And I went home with this pouch, this new thing. So, so you're now able to poo through your rectum again? So yeah, so now I was able to poo through my rectum. Um, it was, uh, you know, very different. Um, In what way was it different? So when I went home, I was going to the loo about 20 to 30 times a day after the operation the skin around the back passage had become broken down and painful, so it was really sore. Just from the number of times you were passing. Just from the number of times I was going to the loo. I was getting a lot of stomach pains from it. Um, and this lasted for about a month. And I thought, what on earth have I done? This is so much worse than 
either inflammatory bowel disease was or a stoma. So again, I was thinking, have I made the wrong decision? What am I doing? This is awful. But actually, after a month, it was like someone turned a tap. Everything just settled down. So and what I, was causing the pain when you were getting that pain? Because there were no ulcers there. What? There were no ulcers. I think it was just everything was new. It was Everything's stretching. readjusting. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's this new pouch, which mm. hasn't really had to be mm. a reservoir before inside, just learning to do that. And it was stretching mm. and, and those... Because this is where the faeces are waiting, isn't it? They're, exactly. they're, that's their waiting room before they then end up transferring Absolutely. down to the rectum. That's, that's, so that's what it is. And it was never supposed to be. That that tissue they've used was small intestine tissue, I presume. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was never supposed to be used for storing faeces. So no. uh, it, there would be, I imagine, a period yeah. of adjustment. So absolutely, definite period of adjustment. Painful, um, just going all of the time. Um, but yeah, as I said, it switched itself off, which was great. And what did you eventually, did, after that month, did you suddenly feel that you became normal? You were passing, how many stools a day were you passing at that point? When that So probably switched? about six, six to eight times a day. Which but for I, you was so much less. Which is so much less, mm -hmm. but I had a bit of control. Mm -hmm. So I was starting to be able to do sort of longer car journeys without, without panicking. Um, I was able to do a little bit more. And over the months, and actually probably over a year or so, everything just got a little bit better really gradually um and actually i can sort of talk about how i am now because that's kind of my normal um so nowadays i you know i'll go to the loo probably four times a day mm -hmm. and i'll wake up once at night to go to the loo as well because this reservoir is not as big as your colon mm -hmm. it's much smaller so it doesn't hold as much so i do go to the loo more often it's always very loose but amazingly i have control so if I need to go to the loo, I can wait an hour, two hours. You can hold it. Absolutely can, which is really amazing. And actually with inflammatory balances, I remember it was hard to hold. When you needed to go, you got to go. But actually now I've got control. I don't have any pain really at all. I do still get some discomfort of the skin around the back passage. And the Americans, they got a lovely term for it. They call it butt burn. <laughs> <laughs> and there are whole forums yeah. on what to do with butt burn. Mm, so what creams yeah. to use. Um, I think I've been through just about all of them. Um, you know, every now and then I had to deal with that issue. But really, you know, I've got control. How can... often do you find that the butt burn becomes an issue? Of an average year, are we yeah, talking so, most months or So very... probably once every month or so, okay. I get a little bit of butt burn. Okay. But I know how to manage it. I use a good barrier cream, something like Metanium is really good. So I'll just use a good barrier cream when I feel it's coming on and then I'm okay. Settles back down again. But um, yeah, you just have to... You know, my life is not normal. It's not, I don't go to the loo completely normally as anyone else would. Yes, it's frustrating sometimes, um, but it's become my normal. Looking back at that decision to go from a stoma where you had no pain, you were on no drugs, mm. and it was that complete relief to where you are now, are you pleased you made that decision? This is such a personal decision to make and everyone has to make it themselves and decide what they feel is best and what they want to do. There are situations where people don't have a choice and their disease necessitates them to have one or the other. Um, but looking back, I'm happy with the decision I've made. It's, it's turned out well. And I know that it doesn't always turn out well for people. Some people's pouch function is not very good. Some people suffer with things like pouchitis, so inflammation in the pouch. I've been very fortunate and touch wood. None of that's happened to me. So my outcome has been great. It's enabled me and I've been able to do what I want to do. Um, so yes, I'm happy with my decision. 
I know people who've got a stoma who are really happy with their decision. And actually having had a stoma myself, I'm not nearly as fearful of having to have one as I was before. And actually you can live very normally and happily with one. So, you know, it, it, it's different in everyone. So now, you know, my, my, my life with the pouch is, is good. Um, I find I can eat just about anything. Uh, I find that I don't digest things as well as perhaps I would do. So for example, things like salads and um, skins, so tomato skins and olives and things like that, I struggle a little bit with because I don't have quite as, I'm not able to digest them as well. And I don't have quite as much, and it's a bit crude, but I don't have the propulsion mm. that some other people's insides might have. So do you that, avoid some of those foods as a result? So I do, I do avoid some of them. There are certain things that certain sections of your colon do, like a lot of water absorption, mm. certain vitamins and minerals yeah. and things. So have, do you have to take supplements? So I don't have to take supplements and I don't take any medications at all. So your, your large bowel is really there for fluid balance, etc., and some and certain, certain electrolytes, really. Mm. So my issue is that I do get dehydrated quite quickly. And that's something I do have to be careful of. Mm. Um, because I've now lost that part of the bowel that used to absorb water. And the implication of that for me is that I'm a keen triathlete, mm. so I'm very active. And so I've had to learn how to manage my fluid balance when I'm doing that. It's really easy to tell when I'm feeling dehydrated. I can tell that, that think that I need to up my fluid intake, but I do try to get sort of electrolyte drinks mm -hmm. because actually just fluid will tend to just move everything through quite quickly through my bowel. So I try to think about getting electrolyte drinks, um, diurolite sort of things. Sometimes mm -hmm. if I'm feeling really quite dehydrated, I'll try and get that in so that I can get some potassium, uh, sodium in there as well. Um, I sometimes use sort of those still leucosate drinks because they get some sugar and things in as well. So I think about the fluid I have. I don't just have water because I know it will just pass through quickly. Try and make sure I think about electrolytes as well because that's quite key mm. when you've got quite a lot of fluid loss. How much fluid do you think you go to on an average day? Oh, you know, I don't even know if I could answer. I think it's yeah. very similar to a normal person. Okay, really. so roughly about two litres a day. What would you say to um, a, a patient now? I think you need to have frank discussions with your gastroenterologist. You have to have discussions with a surgeon. You have to weigh up the options out there and what, what might work. Some people's disease will respond really well to medications. Other people will need to have operations. And it's trying to, to see how your disease progresses. But having a really open dialogue with your specialists, with your IBD team at the hospital is key because we need to work as a team and work out what's the right thing for you. Um, you know, is it surgery, is it medications? And having those frank discussions, I think we're doing it a lot more now in the hospitals and I think that's really good to see. Very mm. um, absolutely fascinating. And I think really uh, enlightening and encouraging, really encouraging for other people to hear that you've gone through really tough times but you've come out the other side and you're living a very normal life and you're very content and you've got a lot of control doing brilliantly um so very encouraging for everybody listening and, and hopefully also incredibly informative for other healthcare professionals listening to this to know what their inflammatory bowel disease patients might be up against and and the 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 roads that they may choose to take so thank you very much to Thank you very much to GP Charlie Andrews for giving us such valuable insight into ulcerative colitis. Please don't miss our second of Charlie's podcasts, What Doctors Need to Know About IBD, for some very informative further information. Mm -hmm.